You're listening to the Sunday Sermon from Cardington Church of the Nazarene in Cardington, Ohio. If you need prayer, encouragement, or support, please don't hesitate to reach out. As always, our website and email are in the show notes. We serve a great God, and it's my hope that He speaks to you through the sermon today. Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to see you all this morning, and I am so excited to share God's Word with you. Uh, For those of you who don't know me yet, I'm Faith Taylor. Um, My family has been attending here for a little bit, and I was ordained the same time that Chris was. Uh, So this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It never ceases to amaze me when I prepare a sermon on a familiar passage How even if I've heard the story a hundred times, it speaks to me in new ways. So this morning we'll be looking at the story of the Magi visiting Jesus and then foiling Herod's plot to find and kill Jesus. It's really a magnificent story about a child worthy to be worshipped and a God who offered supernatural protection to not only Jesus and his family, but to the Magi. But I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. Let's dig into today's passage, which is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it reads, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, before we get into the meat of today's message, I want to talk about some of the background of some of the elements and characters in this story. Stories like this one really bring out the biblical historian in me because it's so fascinating to dig into what these things mean beyond what we just know by reading them. So this morning I want to look at three things a little bit closer. The Magi and their gifts, King Herod, and the star that they followed to Jesus. So let's start by talking a little bit about who the Magi were. Unlike the song we sing at Christmas, they weren't three kings from Orient. 
we actually know very little about them outside of what is in this account. It could have been two, two rulers. It could have been a dozen. It very well could have been even more than that. We usually get the number three because we think of the three gifts that they gave. But we... Okay, these are double-sided notes. I'm like, this is skipping ahead a little further than I was. Uh, but we do know that they were pagan, that they were educated, and they were religious men, even though it wasn't the Jewish religion. But even so, they were coming a long ways to worship the newborn king of the Jews. It's likely that these men knew about the prophecies that prophesied that a Messiah was coming because when the Jewish people were in exile, they were scattered all over the ancient world. And so while they're living in these other lands under other religious beliefs, those religious beliefs are hearing their stories, their traditions, their scriptures as well. Their exact origins, the, the Magi that is, don't really matter as much for this story as the fact that they were coming to worship Jesus, even though they themselves were not Jewish. I've seen a joke circulating online that if it were three wise women, that they would have brought casseroles and baby supplies instead of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it usually is a good joke to get a little bit of a chuckle out of people, because if someone were to give gold, frankincense, and myrrh for a baby shower gift, I think the new mom would say, what do I do with this besides sell it? Uh, but the Magi gave gifts to Jesus that while they may not have been practical in meeting his immediate needs, they were gifts that were fit for a king or divinity. These weren't gifts about how useful they could be, but gifts that were about being worshipful to the newborn king. Now, much is made about what these gifts mean. A lot of people connect gold with Jesus being the king of Jews. The frankincense being the priest, the high priest, and the frankincense that was burned in the temple. And myrrh was a, an essence that was used for burial. Some say this is to predict that Jesus would suffer, die, and be raised again. And while those are interesting connections to make, they are also just kind of the gifts that were typical to give at that time to celebrate a new royal being born. But on a practical note, these gifts likely funded the family's escape to Egypt when Herod plotted to kill all the newborns in that area. We can poke fun at them not being useful gifts for a newborn, but ultimately they provided the family, very likely, with a way to survive the evil that was coming. So let's talk a little bit about that evil. King Herod is an interesting figure, and we know he's a brutal ruler by the way he acts in Matthew chapter 2. But fortunately, the Bible isn't the only source that says King Herod was a very bad ruler. We have written histories to back up the idea that he was brutal and he ruled with an iron fist. He had a wife and two sons executed because they posed a risk to his throne. And if he was not above killing two of his own children, surely he would kill a newborn baby 
or as it turned out, many newborn babies, to make sure that this king of the Jews would not come and take his throne. Caesar Augustus, even, when talking about King Herod at one point, made a famous pun saying that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. The two words in that ancient Greek language are, sound very similar. And so he, he was being funny, but at the same time, he was also showing that King Herod was known to be brutal. This passage says that Jerusalem was also disturbed by the news that when they heard it from King Herod, that a king of the Jews was born. Now, many of us would look at this and say, shouldn't they be celebrating? This is who Jesus came for. Like, we can understand King Herod being threatened by the birth of a king of the Jews, because as a title he took for himself. But all of Jerusalem was also disturbed, it says. Historians believe that this is probably because they also benefited from the power that King Herod had. And this threat to his power would also be a threat to the power that these religious leaders had gained under his rule. So let's move on to talk about the star. Uh, for many years, I've been very fascinated with what this star could be, because as we know, the stars in the sky that we see do not move. And yet this passage tells us that this star not only appeared and appeared at the time of Jesus' birth, but that it moved and led them even to the very house where the child was staying. There are a lot of theories about what this, this star could have been. Around the time that they think Jesus was born, there was a conjunction of several planets, including Jupiter, that would have made a bright star-looking thing in the sky, and that, because planets move, would have also moved in the sky. And while that is a really good theory, a lot of people believe that it was probably a supernatural appearance. Because even though the planets could have shown up and appeared at certain times and even moved, leading to the Magi to the exact house sounds a lot more like an angelic messenger than a natural occurrence in the sky. Ultimately, this is an interesting topic, and we can have different opinions about whether the star was uh, the appearance of planets, or an angel, or there are even those who say it could have been a comet. But what matters is that God made something appear to these religious leaders from far away that inspired them to make a very long journey at great personal risk to worship God's son. So this is an interesting story. And as much as I've just dumped a ton of information on you guys, there's at least two or three facts for every one that I've decided not to share. It is an interesting story. But what does it matter to our lives today? We can come into this place and hear an interesting story and walk out unchanged. But the good news is that this story is not just a story, but the living, breathing word of God. So what does it have to say to us today? There are two main things I want us to walk away with today. The first is that we should have this sense from this story that God doesn't prevent anyone from worshiping him if they are genuine in their desire to worship. 
We see here such a contradiction between King Herod and all of Jerusalem, which means the, the, the Jewish religious establishment, being disturbed by the birth of Jesus instead of genuinely wanting to worship. But on the other hand, we see the Magi, who are pagan, who do not believe in the one true God, but also at the same time believe that God has spoken to them and have obeyed his call, traveled a long way, given gifts, and worshiped God's Son. Where they were from and what their religious backgrounds were didn't necessarily put them outside God's call to worship. This week, by coincidence, if you believe in such things, I don't, I was reading a book by Barbara Brown Taylor, and I came across this quote that I thought fit with this idea. She said, what if a lost soul strikes God as more reachable than a lifelong believer? Think about that. God is calling every heart And sometimes the hardest hearts are the ones that are in the pews every Sunday morning. We need to trust that the same God who has called us and drawn us to worship is also calling and drawing to worship those we think are beyond his reach. The people in Jerusalem were more concerned with power than worship. Herod wanted an iron grip on his power, and the religious establishment of Jerusalem was happy to keep supporting him as long as he enabled their power as well. But the people, the Magi from the east, wanted to come and bow down and worship the newborn king of the Jews. Because of that, God led them to Jesus' doorstep and thwarted Herod's every attempt to kill him. We as the church need to do likewise. We should not be creating barriers, whether we're creating them intentionally or unintentionally, that keep people out from worshiping God. God invites everyone, and we need to as well. Second, the second thing that I want us to walk away with this morning is this sense that we serve a God whose power is used to protect those who need it. And that God's power to protect is greater than the most evil powers of this world. Now the cynical among you need to bear with me for a second. Because I realize there are a lot of places where we look and say, I don't see where God's protecting. Even in this story, we see that God protects Jesus and his family. But hundreds, perhaps thousands of innocent babies are slaughtered. And I wish that I had an easy answer for why that happens. I wish I knew why God didn't just protect every one of us. But I always come back to this idea that God gives us free will. And while he sometimes acts supernaturally to subvert the will of evil people, he cannot do that to the extent that no evil is done. Otherwise, things would be a lot easier for all of us. The the unfortunate truth is that sometimes evil does win. But in this story, we also see all the ways where God's hand of protection was on Jesus and his family. We also see that the Magi, instead of going back to Herod and feigning that they didn't find Jesus, they were warned in a dream to avoid Herod, and so they went a different route entirely. 
surely Herod would have killed them too. We see the places where God has offered protection to those who are not only coming to worship Jesus, but those who are raising him, who are following God's will. I believe that although free will means that bad people like King Herod and all of the evil people in power today means that bad people will do bad things. But I also know, just as strong, that God is a God who works miracles to overcome those evils. The protections that God placed around Jesus and his family are nothing short of miraculous. There is no earthly reason why Jesus' family would have known that they needed to flee had Joseph not been warned in a dream to flee. And while that's a nice story about how God protected Jesus and his family, it's not just that. It's not just a story of God's protection one time, but a reminder to us that we serve a God who still protects today. We see it throughout scripture. We see David and Goliath, David going up against insurmountable odds, being protected and taking down this power. Paul and Silas, when jailed, experience a supernatural freeing from their chains. We have hundreds of stories, both in scripture and in our own experiences, of God doing the miraculous to deliver his people. Maybe you've seen that in your own life. I know I've seen it in mine. Last March, we found ourselves in an impossible situation. We had been blindsided and betrayed by two people we thought that not only we could trust, but who we thought were wonderful people fighting on our behalf. We thought that they wanted, like us, what was best for our family. I can't help but read the story of God delivering and offering information to Jesus' family to protect them without thinking of the way that God has had his hand of protection on our family. Without sharing too many details about the situation, in March it became clear that I needed to be in California for an indefinite period of time. Now those of you who've traveled out of state know that if you go and get a rental car, they kind of want to know when you're going to have that rental car back. And if you only know day to day, that can get quite expensive. So as we're sitting and planning and plotting and seeing what we should do, I had this overwhelming sense that I needed to get in the car and drive to California. And so I left uh, foolishly at 9 p.m. on a Friday night and just took off and began driving cross-country so that we could handle this situation, that we could be there as long as we needed to be. Now, when I left, I didn't know that I'd be away from home for nearly six weeks, but I was. All I knew was that the stakes were high and the odds didn't look good. We were outmatched. We were behind because we'd been so blindsided. I felt hurt and betrayed beyond anything I'd ever felt in my life. And so I took off alone, drove through some very questionable weather, um, including tornadoes that I didn't know were happening um, until after the fact and after seeing the funnel cloud in front of me. Um, God really protected me in that drive because it was perhaps a little bit foolish. 
But during that drive, I had over 40 hours in the car alone to listen to music, to listen to audiobooks, to pray. Much of the time actually ended up being spent in silence as I processed what was happening. I was about halfway across the country driving through Wyoming when I saw these incredible mountains in the distance. And I remember just being filled with this sense and feeling God's voice speaking into my heart clearer than I've ever heard in my life that he made those mountains. And if God could make those mountains, surely he could have a hand on our situation. That the God who was strong enough to make those mountains was strong enough to protect our family. And even though I had no rational reason to believe that things would turn out the way we hoped they would, I had an overwhelming sense that God was in it, God was with us, and things would be okay. And as I started driving through those mountains, I came around a bend, and just beyond these mountains that I saw were even bigger, more beautiful mountains. And that's when I started sobbing. Because I was so filled with awe that God who created, created these smaller mountains would love me enough to care about my situation. And I didn't even see the bigger, more beautiful mountains behind them. I didn't see then, and I know I'm still not seeing now, the bigger, more beautiful things that God is doing in our situation. But I knew that God was in control without a doubt. I began praising God and trusting him that he'd work in the situation. And even though it took another four weeks for things to resolve in the way that we knew they would, but also wondered if they wouldn't. A lot has happened since that day nine months ago. Our situation in California had a happy resolution. And the God that I trusted to deliver did deliver. And just like I couldn't see those other mountains, I couldn't see the other things that were in store for us. I couldn't see what our lives were like today. That if you had told me a year ago in January that things would be the way they are in our lives today, I probably would have called you crazy. And I probably would have run from it as well. In the same way that God guided our steps then, and the way that God provided protection for his family against King Herod. God has the power and the will to do amazing things in each of your lives. Maybe this morning you're finding yourself in need of divine intervention. Maybe you're in a situation where the only way out and the only way forward is if God steps in and does something amazing. We find ourselves in those situations, whether they're illness or family troubles or financial burdens, whatever it is that you're up against, maybe even unbelievable evil or betrayal, we worship and serve a God who is not only able, but who is willing to protect those he loves. Now, I wish I could say that is a promise that every situation faced by every person in this room is going to have the solution we want. This isn't a promise that everything will work out perfectly by any means. But it is a promise that as we go into 2024, 
there will be those here who will be able to testify to the ways that God has delivered you. We pray for the prayer requests and the burdens and the illnesses of our people, not because we feel like we have to pray for them, but we believe that there are those who will be healed. We believe that there will be those who are set free from addiction. We believe that there are those who will be set free from insurmountable odds because that is what our God does. I can say with absolute assurance that serving God and following God with everything you have will not be for nothing. Whether you find your answer to prayer this side of heaven or the other, God is faithful and can be trusted with the stuff of our lives. So this morning as we reflect and continue to reflect on that first Christmas and the life that Jesus lived, I want us to worship. I want us not to leave worship to those who we think are beyond God's reach, but I want us, those of us with our seat in the pews, I want us to worship. I don't want us to have hardened hearts that add to the problems of evil in the world. My hope for 2024 is that each of us will worship and mean it, that we will worship our king, that we will trust God to deliver, that we won't just say, yes, I have faith, or we won't just pray, God, if it's your will, as a cop-out for when we think God will not deliver. I want us to pray, believing that God is in the business of delivering and healing his people. So will you trust God, our deliverer, today? The choice is yours. Pray with me this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the ways that you have protected those before us, the ways that you have protected us, and the ways we will see you deliver us in 2024. Lord, as we look forward to the year, as we look at our situations and the problems that face us, give us the faith to believe that you are doing something good. Lord, we will see your goodness and we want to see it. Help us to trust that even when we don't see the ways you're working, that you are at work. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the answers to prayer we know are coming. In your name we pray, amen. Now may you go from this place filled with the assurance that God is at work in your lives. Go in peace, you're dismissed.